This is the BearCast, presented by Bird Culture and Ford. Bird Culture and Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The BearCast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. And good afternoon on this Tuesday, July the 25th, 2023. Time for another edition of the BearCast live on YouTube. Also, uh, via your usual normal podcast feeds, however you listen to us, whenever you listen to us, we do appreciate it. I'm Craig Smoke, Sikkim365.com. Joined, as always, by Grayson Grunhafer. Also got Garrett Ross and his... Uh, Lovely daughter Ava behind the scenes as well, checking us out. So we appreciate her for being here and appreciate Garrett as always as well. And we will be with you for the next hour talking all things Baylor athletics. And uh, we are at that point where, you know, kind of been teasing how it's like slowing down and slowing down. And now we're like at the point where it's sort of kind of slowed down, but never really full stop. And now we're about to ramp it up again. And uh, that's where we are in like a two-week pocket of – in between media days and right before fall camp starts, Grace, and that's kind of where we find ourselves. But uh, the whole the whole shebang is uh, right around the corner, basically. Here at the end of the month, we'll have practices started up for sure. And I mean, they got one more camp weekend coming up this weekend too. So I mean, recruiting kind of has a little bit of a an open window here with the dead period, um, which is nice. So they're going to get to have prospects on campus, but you're exactly right. I mean, next week fall camp starts and then the season is just kind of right around the corner. Um, it's an exciting time though. I always like this time, uh, the, the opportunity to go out there and kind of get some answers on what we've talked about throughout uh, the off season, just really figure out kind of what this team is going to be about for the next season. Yeah. I'd like to see some actual evidence and you know, it's fun. We've had our time to kind of discuss and predict and do all those things and we'll still have time to do some of that but we're about at that point where we've we've uh said about all there is to say in so many ways about some of this stuff and it'll be good to just see like okay they actually went and played Utah and this is what happened mm-hmm. and these were the guys who performed well and these are the guys who didn't or this is what went right or that's what went wrong so yeah fall camp starting up here in uh, I don't know like a, a little over a week's time or so uh, yeah. and then it'll Next be Thursday. the start of August and uh, again, the whole meal deal will get underway. So excited about that and excited to uh, kind of be at this stage. But um, as far as today goes, uh, still a little bit of talking season is what's going on right now. Dave Aranda, we'll start off with him, uh, and we'll get to some basketball and some other things as well in the next 60 minutes. But uh, Dave Aranda was on his Texas tour speaking to uh, Baylor alumni and fans, part of the you know the summer deal. And he was where? Uh, down in... So he's been in multiple places. The one that I specifically listened to was the one in Plano. But okay. then he's been... He's, I think his last one is actually in Houston. Yeah, he's only doing a couple, a couple of days. them, I think. Uh, he's not like yeah. the full when he like two years ago or whenever that was. He went to like six or seven different spots and it was all over. It was East Texas, West Texas, North and South. Um, this, I think, was just two or three. And uh, he was in up in the DFW area and spoke... Uh, you know, to to fans and alums about a variety of different subjects, and you put a piece out just kind of highlighting some of the things that he talked about uh, in preparation for this upcoming season. So I guess let's touch on a a few of those types of things and uh, anything particular you wanted to start off with here. Yeah, I think think let's start off with kind of the – 
the one of the more intriguing transfer portal additions, which was Keytron Jackson. And we've talked about him a lot, and I, I think that this is a situation where I think we've talked about him so much that fans are having a tough time believing in the hype because the hype's gotten to a level where it's kind of, you know, what are we talking about here? Is he going to be Denzel Mims in 2019? Is he going to be Tyquan Thornton in 2021? Is he going to be, you know, Corey Coleman in 2014 or 2015? Like, how good is he really going to be? And I think the expectation is probably going to be somewhere numbers-wise around what Tyquan Thornton gave to Baylor in 2021, which he didn't even have 1,000 yards receiving, but his impact was massive. I mean, he was terrific that year, made all the tough catches, created explosive plays over the top, um, and I think with Keytron, it's going to be a lot of yards after catch. I know the comparison I've talked about a lot is C.D. Lamb. And I'm not saying that he is C.D. Lamb. C.D.'s a special player, a special talent. Yeah, let's not get crazy right. here. <laughs> but, but play style. You can right. still have the play style of C.D. Lamb without actually being C.D. Lamb, if that makes sense. It's the play style of when he catches the football, he's very hard to bring down, and he creates a lot of yards after catch. And that's something that C.D. does at just an epically high level. Um, but I do think Keytron can kind of be that for this team. And Dave Randa mentioned he was the offensive MVP during the spring, uh, a guy that had multiple really good scrimmages, which we actually mentioned on the Bearcast multiple times. But that ability to take a quick slant to the house is something this team did not have a year ago, in large part because Monterey Baldwin was injured for a lot of the year. But Keytron's a special player. Yeah, um, it's funny you mentioned CeeDee Lamb because I uh, saw highlights. He he basically beat Baylor for the Big 12 title yeah. in so many ways by himself. Um, I saw highlights from that game the other day. It was very random. I don't know if it was just some, you know, one of these billions of vague accounts that post highlights, you know, yeah. and it was just some random CD Lamb highlight reel. And sure enough, there's him, the sideline play, especially against Baylor, the big gain uh, that everyone will remember. Um, that play stood out, and I was just like, yeah, he was a freak. And still is with yeah. the Cowboys. Um, but, yeah, I, I get what you mean about, like, stylistically. But if he could be anywhere near the player, that would be um, very welcome news, and that would mean he's he's one of the better receivers to have walked through the door these last few years. Yeah, and one thing that Dave Randa mentioned that I think speaks directly to the impact Keytron might have next year is he mentioned that, and I, I felt like this was, again, him being very honest, he said that, he didn't feel like he helped Blake Shapin last year by not going into the transfer portal and getting him another wide receiver. And I think if you watch this team last year, they were so young, they were so inconsistent, they had injuries, they didn't have depth. Just in general, it was not a great unit a year ago. And these guys are older now, but they still needed more options, more talent, and in my opinion, a true alpha, right? And I think that's what Keytron brings, but I felt like that was really interesting that Dave Randa said that, and again, it speaks to kind of the things that they went through last year, not attacking the transfer portal, not bringing in the help they needed to, not basically recruiting over guys, which they should have done, and honestly, putting Blake Shapin kind of in a bad position to succeed last year, and obviously, as we saw, he didn't he didn't perform to the level that we all expected. Yeah, he did not, and uh, they did not, and that's uh, been all the talk uh, really since last season ended. It even through really the last month of the season, we were talking about their struggles, and that's really been the, the you know the kind of story of how do they correct that ever since. And you thought that the bowl game might provide an opportunity to just end things on a nice note. You fired your DC, and you're like, okay, you're making these changes. Hey, let's go beat an Air Force, and then go into the off season and be seven and six, and everything will be fine. But instead, it was. 
a disaster, and now that's led to just months and months and months of talk about how they're going to be better and how they've changed and mistakes that were made. So it's good to know that they've realized. I mean, a lot of that is Aranda having to look in the mirror and say, like, yeah, I should have done this, I should have done that. So um, you hope that they've corrected what they needed to and we can see a, a much better version of this team out on the field because that was kind of my thing last week is, like, if not, then, like, what do you do? Because, mm-hmm. you know, you've, you've, you've made so many changes each year that, um, you know, this year, I don't, I mean, other than what they've done, I don't really know what else they could do. So, uh, how they go out and perform is going to be fascinating, um, you know, record wise and, you know, who they beat and who they don't and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we can't go through everything because he had quite a few quotes yeah. here. Um, but just tell me what you would like to highlight and I can kind of fill in where you'd like to. I mean, you mentioned Blake, he had a lengthy answer about Blake Shapin. Um, talked about him being a great athlete and how he's never really known what struggles are because he's just he's gone from football success to baseball success and uh, never really had to like sit there and just I don't know um, just deal with struggle I guess and yeah. deal with hardship and he said uh, you know that he's been very impressed by um, the way that Bell and Grimes have coached him up he's been impressed by the consistency and leadership that Blake showed, you know, back in the spring and throughout the off season and mentioned like kind of just the way he acts differently now and like a team period that's not going right versus how he would have reacted a year ago and, and just the growth that he's seen there. And uh, just talked about the type of person that he is. And we don't get to see that because we only see the guy who's rigid in front of the media and he's really a warm, you know, uh, kind person behind the scenes. Uh, but he did mention he's gotten better in front of the media too. So, I mean, the main thing was really he's not a guy who's experienced a lot of setbacks or tasted a lot of defeat, and now he has, and he should be better for it, I think was the basic message. For sure, and I think the other part of it is he's just done all the things they've asked him to do from an improvement standpoint, whether that's being a leader, whether that's becoming more consistent, whether that is responding to negativity. When you have a bad series, how do you respond to that? But also outside noise, and it clearly was a problem for Blake Shapin and something that I don't know that we addressed enough last year and clearly he listened to the outside noise way more than he should you know as a division one quarterback you're going to get criticism it's going to happen you have to be able to respond positively to that and he didn't last year and I think he's matured in that sense. Um, so, yeah, I think everything else we've talked about with Blake Shape, and I do want to mention he did talk about Sora Robertson a little bit and kind of mentioned everything we talked about during the spring, why he didn't win the job. And a lot of it had to do with the new offensive scheme that he was in, getting comfortable in this new type of offense coming from an air raid offense that he played in at Mississippi State. It just took time, and it's still going to take time. But Dave did mention, you know, all the physical traits. He's a natural leader. He's a guy that everyone wants to be around. He's engaging. He's basically talking about his future is great. And just because he didn't win the quarterback battle this time around, there's still a lot of positives for him and that he's only going to get better and better. So I think that's great news for Baylor from a quarterback depth perspective. And then also for their starting quarterback to you know, just continue to get all this praise that he's gotten throughout the spring and the summer. And now he he just needs to put on tape. He needs to put on the field because I think we've talked about Blake Shapin enough to the point where everyone understands that this team is confident in him. But now can he actually translate that to the field? Yeah, I mean, he's he's the guy, second year in a row, he's he's won that starting job. And, and I think that people want him to succeed. It's just that, um, you know, last year was a bit rocky. And when you're the quarterback, that's where the blame lies, especially when 
you're more known as a defensive team. Now, that was unfair last year because they weren't a great defensive team. Um, and so those struggles weren't all on shaping in the offense. It wasn't as though the defense was just terrific and that the offense couldn't score like they were Iowa or something like mm-hmm. that. It wasn't to that degree. But, you know, again, when you lose and you lose close games, the blame's going to usually be on the quarterback, especially if he has some untimely interceptions and things of that nature. But good to hear that he's grown up and – that's part of the process for, for every college player. Um, but Blake, I think, is just a little bit more front and center because of just the entire situation. So I'm sure that's been tough, but he's got a great opportunity in front of him, and we'll see what he does with it. And if not, then, yeah, Sawyer Robertson's sitting there waiting in the wings to uh, get his shot as well. All right, uh, do you want to hit uh, defensive backs? you want to hit Mike Smith? What do you want to hit from Dave Aranda Yeah, here? Let, let's go to the defensive backs because I think this was probably – at least one of the biggest notes, and that's that Corey Gordon has moved to the star position. And this is a position that he has worked at some, uh, but we've also seen Alfonso Allen work at this position, Romario Noel, of course, Bryson Jackson as well. Um, So this was an interesting move because I think a lot of people were kind of betting that it would be Alfonso Allen, um, but I love that they're going with Corey Gordon. And the reason for it is, you know, coming into the spring and after the spring really, the top three safeties for Baylor, the ones that had been mentioned the most, were um, Corey Gordon, Devin Lemire, Devin Bobby. Those were the three. And so in order to get all three on the field, one of them was going to have to play the star position. And so it's going to be Corey Gordon. Uh, I expect him to somewhat be a part-time player because I do think Bryson Jackson's going to have a role in this defense as far as a pass rusher and um, maybe in true rushing situations. Um, but I think Corey is going to be very productive there. And everything that Dave Randis said about him is very encouraging. You know, that he just got more mature over the last year. That when you watch him blitz and watch him make plays, he's constantly doing that. And just basically that he's a very talented player who they have a lot of trust in. And they think that he can be kind of a game changer, which they didn't have last year with Al Walcott. But they had the year before with Jalen Petrie. And so now you're just hoping for him as a young guy to take a big step forward and actually be able to produce on the field uh, in really his first action. But very encouraging stuff here. And at least we kind of get news on that, right? We get some confirmation about what they're trying to do at the star position. Yeah, I mean, we weren't really exactly sure what they were going to do and how they were going to operate once A.J. McCarty got kicked off. So um, that that does answer, you know, a question about, you know, how they would react to that. And, yeah, Corey Gordon, step on up and uh, be the man if you so choose to. But there will be others, obviously, pitching in as well. But, um, yeah, I mean, McCarty's off in Lubbock now and um, needs somebody else to step up and, quite frankly, you know, exceed what was done previously uh, as well would be a great start. Um, so, um yeah, great opportunity there for him and, and for others to uh, to jump in the mix. Uh, Alfonso Allen as well, as you mentioned, and uh, Bryson, obviously, uh, not somebody you want out there all the time, just, you know, out, especially out there roaming around trying to cover receivers yeah. and things like that. But in some other situations, he, you know, he has a place for sure. So, yeah, I mean, that'll be um, performance by committee in so many ways. But if somebody wants to step up and be the man, like Corey Gordon, that, that would be – that would be great news. So, yeah, that was a, that was an interesting note. He also talked, sticking with the secondary, about corner. Um, talked about their length and speed and his excitement. Chateau Reed uh, is a name that's been on campus for a long time now. Uh, Miranda mentioned that he struggled with just being 
um, good at life. I mean, basically, uh, or you're doing the, I shouldn't say it that way, but doing the things that you're supposed to do to be successful. Uh, said he struggled with showing up on time, struggled with going to school, doing all the things, and said for him to go from where it was to where it is now is the reason why you coach, basically, and said it's really cool to see him become one of the leaders. So that wasn't so much an update on him as a player, but uh, you can tell part of what's kept him off the field or not as, you know, in the limelight is, you know, trying to do the -the off-the-field stuff uh, better. And you know what? That's part of the deal as well. So if he's got that on track, then that's good news for Chateau Reed. Yeah, but I think the bigger, I mean, that's big too, but he also did say he has a starting job right now. So, I mean, that, that kind of at least gives us some insight as to, okay, so right now at this very moment, he's going into camp with a position. Yeah, that was and, the very last line I just skipped over. Yeah, yeah. He's got a starting job right now and the ability to do it, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, at least that does speak to kind of they see someone separating, which I think is very important because they're going to play four cornerbacks at minimum this year as long as there aren't injuries. They like to rotate, and if you're playing press coverage, you're going to have to play multiple cornerbacks. But it's good to know that at least there's some separation there uh, as we've mentioned in the past Ajani Carter will be on campus hopefully at the start of fall camp he's projected to play the other cornerback position and then you have Tevin Williams and Isaiah Dunson and I, I kind of expect them to roll with those four guys going into fall camp and then going into the season which is actually pretty good depth. I'm, I'm actually pretty happy with the way this has turned out. Chateau Reed's an older guy. Ajani Carter is going into his fifth year, so he's an older guy as well. Um, and then Tevin Williams has been around for a while, and Isaiah Dunson at Miami was you know playing a lot. So I think in general, they finally built some depth there, but good to know that at least with the guys they have on campus, Chateau has really taken that step in the right direction. Yeah, that's great news, and uh, got to grow up sometime. And the thing about college football is uh, you got to do it in a certain amount of time. You don't just get uh, unlimited years, and it might seem like that with sixth and seventh year guys all over the place in college right now. But yeah, I mean, uh, it does take time, and especially a guy from Oklahoma making his way to Waco and just the college life and all of that sounds like some of that was a. A little bit of a learning curve. So now starting cornerback, I mean, clearly he's made some huge strides, and, and that is good to see and good to hear. And he obviously has some athletic traits that the old staff liked, right? Was that the old staff that recruited him originally? So, yep. yeah, he's been around a while now at this point. He was very much a hidden gem, right? A guy with yeah. tons of athleticism, but would it translate? Could he figure out school, the maturity part, which Dave Randa mentioned? Yeah, so clearly there was some reasons for, for those uh Worries, I guess, at least early on, and those those have uh, hopefully been uh, needed out. All right, uh, there's only a couple of things. I mean, uh, Mike Smith, he talked at great length about Baylor's newest uh, linebacker who transferred in from Liberty, and uh, he's done nothing but receive rave reviews, and he was one of the media day representatives a couple weeks ago, which is typically a sign that somebody's doing the right things on and off the field. And um, I think we asked Aranda about, like, why'd you choose each guy? And, and he mentioned he had glowing reviews for, for Mike Smith. Um, and let's see here. He got into just how he was making all the tackles during the first couple of scrimmages and had, like, 16 of them and five assisted tackles at one point after the first scrimmage. Second one did the same. So he's got a physical presence, and uh, tackles are like physical, like knock-you-back type of tackles, in-your-face type of tackles. Uh, so he's got a little bit of a nasty streak to him. 
Um, and then he he had a little anecdote about how they do stuff at the end of practice where like a player's got to talk well about another player, basically. And then you pass like the baton, so to speak, and you compliment you know another guy and so on and so forth. And uh, he'll say you know the name. So if, I guess Keytron Jackson stood up or something. He says like Josh Cameron, and Keytron's got to say something nice about Josh Cameron, and then mm-hmm. you know go on. And uh, he said that uh, he would bring up Mike and Mike Smith. And, uh, you know, it's always his job to put up somebody else. And he was continuously the guy that other people were naming to, like, compliment and to, you know, dote on, so to speak. So he's obviously made an impression amongst his teammates and obviously his head coach as well. Uh, He was a player rep, as I mentioned, in media days. So seems like he's come in and acclimated himself pretty well. It's a matter of just, you know, putting it out on the field. But there's no reason to believe, you know, that he won't be able to do so. Yeah, I feel like he's just a dude, right? Like he's kind of that dude for them at the linebacker position. A true leader, a guy that everyone listens to, um, which they didn't have last year. You know, Dylan Doyle was a leader um, for sure, but I think this is kind of a different level. I mean, Mike has only been here for, what, seven months, and he's already going to Big 12 media days. Everyone's already listening to everything that he's saying. Um yeah, I just uh, this is really great to see. He's been a huge riser throughout the spring and a guy who now I have pretty big expectations for uh, going into the season. Now, we'll see if he can live up to those, but what I will say is at least in the locker room and at least getting to them, getting them to this point where fall camp's around the corner, the season's around the corner, he's really stood out as someone that's made a big impression uh, on the staff. So, yeah, I felt like that was really, really important. Um, I did want to mention he talked about Dominic Richardson just really quickly. We've talked about him a lot as being an Abram Smith type um, and Dave Randa talked about that like last year Baylor's offensive line was creating about three yards that was their yards created and last year Baylor was getting you know 3.2 yards or 3.3 yards per rush so they were only getting you know 0.2 or 0.3 of those extra yards that you have to manufacture and you'd like to be around four or five yards and that's the area where he feels like Dominic Richardson is really going to help this team um, bigger physical back very strong very experienced and a guy who will definitely remind people more of uh, the Abram Smith type uh, you'll see some flashes of Ebner as well. And and really, honestly, he's just going to be what they wanted Tay McWilliams to be a year ago. And they didn't get to see that. Now you bring in Dominic Richardson to address that. I think he's going to be a perfect fit for this offense. And then one more thing I wanted to get to, Craig, before we move on is the offensive line. Um, and Dave Randa mentioned that a lot. He talked about Clark and Campbell Barrington, just Clark emerging as a leader, Campbell being extremely athletic and talented, um, but then also mentioned some young guys like Tate Williams and George Maia really fighting for their shot uh, to start. But the biggest thing they mentioned is this is a hungry, hungry, chip-on-your-shoulder type of room. They're probably pissed off and mad right now. And everyone, you know, everyone started laughing about that because that's just who they are. They're fighting for a job. They're fighting for a role. And Eric Mateos has really instilled a ton of confidence and a ton of competition in this room. And I think that's going to make this group extremely productive and honestly better than last year's offensive line, which I know last year had a lot of veterans, but I don't think they were hungry like this year's offensive line is. Well, I seem to recall Connor Galvin already being hyped up on NFL hype uh, at the beginning of last year. Mm -hmm. I seem to recall that being an issue of, you know, a mock draft had come out from like Fruit Loops 49 on his (laughs) substack, and, you know, Connor Galvin was named a first rounder in this yeah. thing. And he, I guess, took that to his head, um, which, 
you know, you'd think there's enough lessons at this point for guys, but I mean, being young, you know, you got to learn trial by fire a lot of the time, but you would just think that there's enough war stories of letting hype, especially from miscellaneous things like that, get to your head. And I just, I, I thought Connor would rise above that, but apparently not. And, you know, and, and that's not to like single him out or anything, yeah. but it's just, he, he admittedly, he said it himself in like week three or four. He was like, yeah, I let too much of the off season get to my head. And I remember going like, well, that's, that's a good thing to realize. And I feel like he kind of turned it on after that. But there was, I think, an element of they got hyped up to be all these guys are returning and they're going to dominate, and then they came out there and they didn't dominate, and at least to the extent that you thought that they would. They didn't have a bad year either, but they weren't, you know, the force that you thought that they were going to be. I think, you know, a big part of that was Khalil Keith's injury did not help that. Sure, Like, yeah. early in the year, they there got off to various a reasons, start. yeah. Yeah, and he, he just never got to – I mean, he was very good. Like, you look at the second half of the year, they were so much better running the football, you know, until the last few games. But um, his loss, Micah Mazuka just not living up to the billing and just not really – bringing leadership or bringing assertiveness to the table more so just kind of being there. And I felt like that's kind of what they were last year. They were just kind of there, right? And they were just doing their job and whatever. There was no mean or nasty streak like there was in 2021 where it was like that game against Oklahoma where I think Abram Smith got hit like five yards short of the first down. And then you see five offense linemen literally carry this dude 15 yards down the field. And you're like, oh, this game is over. Like, they didn't want any part of that, and that's kind of what they want to get back to. So very important to hear that, I think, from Mateos. I know there's been a lot of questions about the offensive line, but I think in general after hearing this kind of comment and this kind of conversation, I think they're feeling really good about it. Now, I don't think this is going to be a unit that comes out week one and is kind of a finished product. I think it will take time, but I think in general they're going to be very, very good and probably better than many people think, especially people who have them ranked as the 13th best offensive offensive line in the big 12 um which i saw from heartland college sports this week 13th when your head coach when your offensive line coach is eric mateos pretty yeah, crazy i mean 13th when you've got four brand new schools coming up from the american yeah. and uh, independence and byu's case not to say that none of them can't be better than baylor and all four of them certainly could but yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't think that 13th will be where they end up when all is said and done i don't care how many guys they're replacing so you know take take rankings for what they're worth there's so many of them nowadays that it's almost diluted it to the point where it's like i mean seeing a non-ranking is almost more impactful than seeing a rank. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, there's just so much of that kind of thing, and and I don't, I'm not knocking it in any way, but it's just like, you know, like take it, read it at your own risk. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to put a lot of stock into any given thing, then go right ahead. But if you worry about putting stock into every single list that's made, then you will drive yourself absolutely insane. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you know that's that's their projection. Uh, I'm sure others are you know, better, and I'm sure others might be in that same ballpark, but, you know, they got hyped up last year, and they didn't live up to it. So, yeah, shoot, let them be 13th and go out there and outperform that, and that would be a great story rather than overhyping them and them underperforming again. So I'll, I'll take I'll take 13th over 1 through 12 uh, any day and, and be fine with that if I'm Eric Mateos and company. So there was uh, Dave Aranda and his Texas Tour stop up in the DFW and a few things that he had to say. Uh, but a lot of them echoing, you know, some of the bigger storylines from the additions uh, to the subtractions in so many ways. And uh, certainly just kind of the highlights of, 
you know, what people want to know and what are the biggest storylines entering this season, which is certainly quarterback and the defensive changeover with Matt Pallage and some of these transfers. Uh, so, yeah, uh, very excited to finally see a retooled Blake shape and throwing to a new, uh, you know, potential star target in Keytron Jackson behind a ticked-off offensive line with a pretty good run game and, and so on. So there's that, and I guess that can lead us now into a little bit of fall camp. I'm not going to be here next week. I am finally due for some vacation, and I cannot wait, to be honest with you, and I'm sure most people have already come back from theirs, I think, here being early or late July. Uh, so I won't be here next week. And uh, in that case, I'll just go ahead, I guess, here and give a couple of thoughts on fall camp because you'll be covering a lot of that next week uh, solo. And uh, I, don't, I don't have a lot. Like, I mean, I think we've uh, kind of touched on, on most everything, uh, but I am very intrigued by the transfers and, and who all steps up. I mean, there's a number of guys now, Mike Smith and Keytron Jackson and the Barrington brothers and, gosh almighty, uh, Isaiah Dunson and... Sawyer Robertson, and, I mean, there's 10-plus guys. So, I mean, how they all fit in, that's a big room of, of guys. I mean, that's, you know, it's one thing to bring in two or three or four, and I know that the new thing now is that basically everybody's bringing in, like, 10 or so players. But that's that's not only a turnover. This isn't depth, though. This is These are, like, starting players in a lot of cases. So, I know it's kind of general, but one of the things I am looking for is just how do these new guys all fit in, and especially since a lot of them weren't even around in spring. Like right. Some of these guys have been added since then, so uh, I'm particularly interested in those who have not uh, been on campus or that we have not seen on campus just yet. Uh, that, to me, is, is obviously one of the bigger storylines. Yeah, and I mean, it, it's a lot of moving parts, right? And this was something that the staff got criticized for last year, not creating more moving parts um but i think going into this year everyone's really excited to see you know how does that work because it's a complete shift from what happened last year um and now can you put it all together and can it all gel so yeah that's definitely going to be a big one especially because you know we saw a lot of these guys in the spring but i felt like we kind of wanted to see another step and and closer to the season and see you know who's really going to be utilized in this way and kind of what's that going to look like um yeah that's going to be really intriguing uh for me to watch as well i'm very excited about that just see how all these parts fit and i wish i had some unique like angles that nobody's really thought of but i think that just we've we've spent a lot of time talking about every angle that it's kind of it's going to be sort of the same thing blake shaping i mean is it it's now or never for him basically i mean that's that's obviously something i'm watching as well is just kind of how he comes into camp and when we talk to him is there you know i mean he was at media days but you know, sitting him uh, down or not sitting him down, but him standing up there with the media for, you know, fall camp and actually talking about getting into the depths of the season. I'm interested to hear what he has to say, but more interested in just kind of what his command looks like and uh, kind of what others are saying about him as much as what he has to say. So Blake Shapin's obviously a key to, to the whole thing and uh, very intrigued by how he handles business, knowing what he knows now, which is, you know, not only what having the starting reins are like, but especially the situation he's in where he knows like okay buddy like this is this is it like this is your this is your big opportunity we've spent all off season correcting things or fixing things or or figuring out things and you know uh you're the man we we we've named you the man two years in a row now but like you got to go out there and and do this and and you've got to you know overcome some things in some cases if even if the offensive line's not performing up to snuff or the receivers aren't 
getting open. Like, you got to find a way to get him open, man. Like, there's – for this team to succeed, that is. Uh, he's, he's just got a way to make it – he's got to find a way to make it work through good and through bad. And uh, I have no idea. I mean, I have faith in Blake Shapin. I know he's not going to be Peyton Manning. I'm realistic. Uh, but I do have faith that he can take a big step forward this year. And I think nobody wants it more than him. So, I mean, that's obviously got to be one of the top 1A, 1B storylines for this entire team is Blake Shapin and his performance this season. And I think that's just – that's obvious. For sure. And, I mean, there's a lot of question marks going into the season about what's he going to look like, how's he going to respond from last year, is he truly going to take a step forward. Can he sit in the pocket? Can he deliver? Or yeah. is he going to get happy feet? Is you he going to – throw with no feet on the ground like right. he did at yeah. times is he gonna you know run outside the pocket with the ball loose and fumble the football like there's a lot of things that are going to be asked about him and we might not get all the answers to that in fall camp you know where that is at but I do think there were some signs of growth in the spring game but there were other signs of just okay nothing's really changed here so there's that's definitely a question mark for me as well and you know also behind him you know how much better does Sora Robertson look you know mm-hmm. has he really taken that step forward because I could tell in the spring he was simply not comfortable with a lot of the things that he was being asked to do. Some of the throws he was trying to make, he simply could not make at that time. But I think we saw in the spring game him look a lot better, and I think they really manufactured things and built things around what he can do. So I'm curious if they continue to do that or if they ask him, you know, they tell him, hey, you know, we need you to run the exact offense that we have. You need to be able to do all the things. We'll see if he's able to do that, you know, going forward into fall camp. Yeah, and just kind of sticking with some of the, you know, really the main themes, but I mean, all over the defense, I'm just, I, I'm curious about everything. You know, they, um, they had uh, Justin Sambu a week ago. They seem like they've really been able to reload the defensive line through the transfer portal, but, you know, you got to go out there and see what that actually looks like. And I'm fascinated with that. Same thing with the secondary. I mean, the linebackers are all, you know, turned over uh, in, in so many ways, especially with Dylan Doyle not being there. So, I mean, just defensively as a whole, I've got so many questions about what they're even going to look like because every level's got somebody new and somebody impactful that'll be playing every at every spot um, other than what's safety, right? I mean, is there – safety doesn't have any newcomers, right? Safety – no, they got all newcomers except for Devin Lemire because they lost Devin Neal, Al Walcott, um, those what, are, and Christian Morgan – Right, who, but I'm saying newcomers from, like, the transfer portal. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. yeah, they didn't bring in. Yeah, I should have clarified. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was yeah, the only spot that in. they didn't bring mm-hmm. anybody. So, like, that that one's a little bit, you know, I guess um, safer just because you already kind of know the parties involved, but there's big questions there. But, yeah, there's just newcomers all over the place. And so I'm, I'm, just, I'm just curious how it's all going to get put together, the recipe, with all the new ingredients, and, and there's a lot of them, and it's going to be a different flavor big time than it was last year, for better or worse. So... Um, yeah, I, I just I, I'm curious about how the puzzle gets put together and how the new pieces fit in uh, initially. And and it doesn't matter where you look; basically, every position's got somebody new there. So that's right. uh, that's definitely something I'm curious about. Yeah, and there were some guys even in the transfer portal that we didn't even get to see in the spring. Like you mentioned, Justin Sambu, Trevin Maya, Byron Vaughn's right. will be coming in. Garmin Randolph isn't a transfer, but he wasn't there in the spring, so we'll see him come back. And that's uh, only basically like your entire D line. Johnny Carter. Yeah, I mean it's a lot. It's a lot of pieces there. Obviously, you have your stalwarts and T.J. Franklin and Gabe Hall. Um, 
Um, but it's nice to see them going out, adding more depth. You mentioned adding Justin Sambu this past week. Um, that's another nice addition. But yeah, it, it is fascinating. I'm also, you know, you mentioned safety. That's going to be something I'm going to be looking at is, you know, was it m- a mistake to not bring in a transfer? Is it a position yeah. they regret not taking a transfer? Um, I think we've kind of had that answer based on how aggressive they were throughout the offseason with the transfer portal that if they really did feel like they had to take one, I think they would have, um, which gives me some confidence, um, but you just never know with those things. Yep. Yeah, so, I mean, those are – you know, obviously going to be main points for probably a lot of, I mean, there's only so many different unique storylines you can yeah. get without being like super hyper specific of like, <laughs> I'm looking forward to like the way that Garmin Randolph performs in a three minute. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not that guy. So yeah, I mean, it's pretty general, but that's what I'm, I'm curious about is just the changes uh, all over the place and, and some of the new faces that we didn't get to see in the spring. So once I get an opportunity to put feet on ground over on campus, those are some of the things that I'll be watching more often than not. But uh, I guess you'll have a more in-depth preview on what you'll be looking for uh, next week. So, folks, uh, can tune in for that uh, while I uh, get a little break before football season fully erupts. But uh, those are just the sort of the main things, and, and those have been a lot of the main talking points. But you think about that D-line in particular, and that's going to look wildly different from last year outside of basically T.J. Franklin and Garmin Rand- – or not even Garmin Randolph, but uh, Gabe Hall mm. – Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's really it. But yeah. Vaughn's and Maya and um, Sam Boo. Sambu and even younger like Cooper Lands, Jackie Marshall. Yeah, it's Trey a lot Wilson. of questions. Yeah, a lot of que- a lot of new faces, a lot of questions, a lot of just intrigue. I think with this team because you really do not know what to expect mm-hmm. given. Um, just sort of the question marks that are out there. So that's just sort of where my brain is. Um, you can chime in and, and let us know where yours is, and, and Grayson will have more of his thoughts on that coming up next week. I do have a couple of notes I want to touch on um, that are somewhat football-related. Squirrel Williams, I'm sure some folks have seen this by now. Uh, he would transferred to Louisiana Tech, the former Baylor running back, and was going to finish out his career there. Um, but turns out that he's not playing football anymore and he showed up at what a high school clinic or was that uh, the THSCA that they the big event that they had for the Texas High School Coaches Association Uh, Squirrel Williams popped up and I think it was David Wetzel that uh, took a picture with him at the event and Squirrel is now a high school coach so not sure what exactly happened at La Tech injuries or whatever wouldn't be a surprise to anybody if he just said screw it I mean honestly with all that he's been through and it sounds like that's probably what happened was to some extent he just said all right I'm done with football playing wise and uh, he's now a coach so congratulations to Squirrel Williams and best of luck on uh, his new journey and quite frankly selfishly I'm glad that he played his final game as a Baylor Bear Um, I know that's super selfish but I I I don't know I just think that's more fitting than him going and finishing as a a law tech running back yeah I mean I I was looking forward to seeing him run all over uh, what are they in Conference USA or I think they are believe so but uh, I need to double check on the realignment with all the conferences now yeah doesn't really matter I was looking forward to him running all over that conference but yeah I mean it's too bad for him he had a lot of injuries during his career so I'm happy that he's moving on to this next phase in his life and he's going to his alma mater uh, there at Crosby and he'll be the running backs coach there which will be really really exciting for him and a great step in his journey and he was always it always felt like he was a great teammate and just a great person it just was sad he could never stay healthy and really he truly is a a Baylor fan favorite he was a Mm -hmm. guy who everyone was just so excited about throughout his entire career we got so many questions about squirrel for like five 
five years. Um, so I'm glad we get to talk about him at least one more time. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of his and wish that he could have been blessed with a bit more health for sure because uh, I do think we've seen them probably win a few more games. And um, I think that he would have gotten a lot of deserved attention. But, yeah, just could not stay healthy. And I'm glad to see that he's got his new career started. And so congratulations to him and, and best of luck. And hopefully he's somebody who, you know, maybe a few years down the line, he's the Baylor running backs coach or something along those lines if he has some success. So congratulations to Squirrel Williams. Meanwhile, former wide receiver Denzel Mims, uh, now a member of the Detroit Lions, traded this week from the New York Jets who originally drafted him couple of years back um and really just a um a forgettable time in new york for denzel mims i mean nothing springs to mind as far as highlights or big impact or anything like that they're an organization that's been in a bit in flux as well he as a player has been a bit in flux and now he's been traded off to detroit for a late round pick and he will not be catching touchdowns from Aaron Rodgers. If anything, it'll be from Jared Goff, but he's got to do that first too. And uh, I know you're big on him getting a change of scenery. Um, I think he, he obviously needed one as well, but I also think this is on Denzel now. Like you can't say, oh, it's the Jets or it's this or it's that. It's, it's entirely on Denzel Mims to succeed now. Um, I think he's got the athletic skills. No one's ever doubted that. But, you know, the other parts of the game, learning the playbook, doing those types of things were apparently some uh, some areas that bit him while in New York. So uh, we'll see if this, you know, change of uh, scenery will benefit him. But uh, now a member of the D- uh, Detroit Lions won Denzel Mims. I mean, it's a long shot that he ever becomes a great NFL player. I mean, most times you don't see that happen. But I will say, you know, this is a reoccurring theme with the Jets because they had to trade Elijah Moore, who was their second-round pick. They traded him to the Cleveland Browns because they decided to inexplicably just bench him and hardly play him at all. So they traded him to the Browns. Denzel Mims sat on the bench, and they just basically were like, yeah, we're not going to trade you. We're just going to have you sit here because – We think you're valuable enough to be here, but we don't want to trade you when you're still kind of in the early stages of your career. Just really annoying type stuff. But he does get to go to Detroit where Jamison Williams is out the first six games of the year. They have Eamon Ross St. Brown, so they have a true alpha. And he just gets to go out on the outside and kind of be uh, a guy that gets to, you know, play. I mean, he might actually get some reps on this team. All they really have is Josh Reynolds and Marvin Jones, who are both older guys who haven't done a ton in the, you know, Marvin's done a lot, but he's older now. And Josh Reynolds is just kind of a a whatever type guy. And now, you know, Denzel, maybe he can carve a role, at least in the early part of the season. But again, like I said, it's a long shot just because most guys, if you don't pan out your first three years, I mean, it's really hard to, to really pan out in the long run. Yeah, I think whatever happens coming out of training camp will dictate what happens with Denzel from here on out. Um, So, yeah, a good opportunity to just make an impact somewhere else, but uh, one of his final opportunities, you would think, as well. Um, Because, you know, at some point, you can be 26 or whatever he is, and that starts to become old in the NFL if you're not making an impact, and it becomes old very quickly. So there's a ton of receivers out there, and and look – nobody's looking for receivers more than NFL teams right now. That's all they want is wide receivers. So he's at a, a position where, unlike running back, it is, it is coveted, and he's got a great opportunity. So we'll see what he does with that. All right, we do have a number of questions to get to. So if you could quickly kind of touch on men's basketball here and some of the offers. I know you wanted to highlight that. Um, so let's do that. Um, but I just want to also be mindful because I think we've got like 
eight or so questions to get to. Um, but men's basketball doling out some some new offers here. Right. So a couple new offers went out. They offered Long Island Lutheran guard wing type VJ Edgecombe. And again, when he was offered, a lot of people were kind of talking about, does this impact Trey Johnson, who's I think the number three player in his class in the 2024 class. Uh, they play the same position and Trey's been a huge target for Baylor. And he's still the priority, but they had to go out offer some other guys. VJ is another five-star type guy. A very good player, a guy who they actually got to see play. Um, and perform at a very, very high level. And so they went out, offered him, um, and they like they like him. They like him. They like what he can bring to the table. But again, I don't believe that impacts Trey Johnson at all. Moving on to the next offer, Asa Newell. Uh, he put on a really, really nice performance at the, for Team USA at the FIBA under 19. He's another five-star prospect. He's a 6'9 forward, probably more of a power forward at this point in his career. Uh, but another long, lanky, athletic, um, plays really hard type guy. Um, so another offer that went out to another five-star. So two five-star offers went out this week. Uh, pretty important uh, in general. I think this Baylor program is looking to take probably three or four commits in the class, and they already have two. Um, so they don't have a lot of room. They got Jason Asamoto already committed and Robert Wright, two very, very highly decorated prospects who have continued to just rise. Like, if you look at what they've done over the last year, they've taken a I mean, just big jumps in recruiting, big jumps in their play. Um, so they already have two very nice commits, and now they're just looking to add to the class. And so right now... They went out, offered a couple new guys. They still have their eyes on Trey Johnson. Uh, his decision probably won't be till the fall. But in general, that's three new targets to keep an eye on and potentially two more spots to work with in the 2024 class. So business is booming for Baylor basketball. Could be in an even bigger way depending on how some of these chips fall. But, yeah, recruiting is, is in a good place right now. I mean, everything with the program is in a pretty good place. But, uh, yeah, I don't think that they're going to have any – hard time filling scholarships anytime soon and certainly seem to be in the mix for a lot of elite guys. So uh, very excited about what's going on there and, and nothing but upside for that program. Um, and so we'll see how that how that shakes out here over time. But uh, thank you for the update there on some men's hoops as they retool their roster and gear it up for the future. Um, so let's get to the mailbag. I think we've kind of covered everything else and we will start off with uh, Scotty B, the Baylor King. Who do you believe the best quarterback that Baylor football will face this season? My guess will be Will Howard from Kansas State, which is a pretty good assumption, Scotty B. I mean, I would say I'm already looking at week two and Cam Rising from Utah as uh, one of the better quarterbacks they will face this year. I know there's questions about his health or whatever, but until I see he's ruled out for the game, I'm assuming Cam Rising is going to be the starting quarterback for that game. And when the time comes and he's not, then we'll deal with it then. But on paper, he's the starting quarterback. I think Cam Rising is one of the best players that they're going to face uh, at quarterback this season. Uh, Will Howard, I definitely think, deserves uh, some mention there. Um, and looking around the rest of the league, I I think, you know, obviously Quinn Ewers, I, I don't want to hype him up, though, because it's just like default to mention him because he's the Texas quarterback yeah. and he's the golden boy and all that. But I do think, like, skill-wise, he's probably one of the better guys that they will face. But has he proven to be one of the better guys just yet? I don't know where he's just an automatic, but there's that mystique about him that you have to take into account. So, I mean, I wouldn't blame anybody for mentioning him, although I don't think he's fully proven it yet. But, yeah, I'll go Cam Rising because he's, he's you know, he's won the Pac-12. He's played in big games, uh, and he's performed 
but Will Howard is is a good quarterback as well, and and he'll be right up there. So that's that's where my my, my mind immediately goes. What about you? If you're gonna go off draft boards, then it's Quinn Ewers. I mean, if you're gonna right. go off NFL, what can they do in the future? Then it's Quinn, and that that's totally fine. But I think college quarterback wise, it is Cam Rising. The question is, will the Cam Rising week two be a fully healthy Cam Rising, or will it be kind of just a Cam Rising that's trying to get? you know, back to full strength. We'll see on that. But if you're just going to go off of, hey, you're playing this quarterback, then I think it's Cam Rising. Will Howard's a good one. Um, Quinn Ewer's another one. And then I also think John Rice Plumley, um, but mainly because of just how dynamic he is. He's not necessarily a great thrower of the football by any means, um, but he can flat out run the football. And you know when you play them, he's going to run and run and run and be just a pain for you uh, to deal with. And it's really interesting, you know, Gus Malzahn, you know, basically, yeah, and he got to a national championship game with Nick Marshall as his quarterback, who was a, you know, a cornerback at one time. So John Rice Plumley really fits the scheme and can do a lot of the things for Gus Malzahn that he's really worked with in the past. So I would just add him as just another name to, to monitor. Uh, thank you for the question, and uh, yeah, there's a lot of questions about the quarterbacks they'll be facing and how good they'll they'll be any given week. I mean, there's a lot of... A lot of question marks. Uh, but, yeah, Cam Rising is going to be a good test uh, on paper in week number two. Enibal, how good is Baylor's offense if the O-line meshes quickly and Keytron Jackson is the player he's hyped up to be? It's a top 20 offense in the country if those two things happen. Yeah, I think pretty squarely uh, might even be top 15. If if they mesh quickly and they top can— Top 15, huh? I mean, if they can run the ball like they did in 2021, but then you're telling me that Keytron Jackson is, like, borderline all-conference? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. You're not going to find many teams that have that in the Big 12. Yeah, I mean, they, they should be pretty good. You know, able to answer your question. Um, I don't know about like top whatever because I just I don't think of it that same way like Grayson does. But yeah, I mean, I, I can picture top 20 if you've got a stud receiver and you know an O line that's meshing pretty well. Um, a lot again will just fall on the shoulders of Blake Shapin, but if he's connecting with Keytron Jackson, then I imagine he's connected with other guys as well, and and that should bode very well for. Uh, this offense overall. So, um, yeah, if those two things happen, those would be two huge questions that are solved right away and, and would, would bode well for, for this offense. So, yeah, top 20, top 25 uh, seems like it would be a fair mark. Uh, 1964, Bear, what are the strong and weak points of our football team this year? Um, all right, so let's go offense. Uh, running game's a strength. Yeah, running tight ends tight end. are a strength. Everything else is a question mark. Is a question? Yeah, it's a question mark. It has it's to mid be. to question mark. Yeah. yeah, it it has to be. I think that the thing that changes everything is if quarterback becomes a strength. Right. I would say. Yeah. So yeah. So on on offense, tight ends and running backs on paper look great. Uh, o line, just like can they put it all together? Can shape and put it all together? Uh, can the receivers put it all together? Those those are the questions. But you feel good about the receivers too. I mean, them growing up, but but definitely running back and tight end your strengths on defense. On defense, the weakness is secondary. Like, we need to see, can the secondary really cover, you know, for an entire game and really, you know, excel? Because they weren't very good at that last year, and it put a lot of pressure on their de- on their defensive front. But I think the strength is their defensive front. I think it's going to be very good. They have two really good outside linebackers, Jack Types and Garmin Randolph and Byron Vaughns. I love what they did on the defensive line. Um, so, yeah, question marks on the back end, but I think in their front, 
I think they're going to be really, really good. Uh, I'd also say linebacker is a little bit of a question just because Matt Jones wasn't great last year. Mike Smith is a new guy, so we still got questions there, but I think it's been a lot of positives, at least in the offseason. Yeah, I mean, I think on paper the, the line did about as much as it could to improve itself and to shore up itself after what all they lost. I mean, Trevin Maya and Byron Vaughns and Justin Sambu. I mean, I don't know what else really they could have gone and done um, that would have been equally as impactful. So, yeah, that, that should overall be a strength. But, yeah, there you go. I mean, there's there's uh, the tight ends and the running backs and the D-line and – Everything else is kind of a, a question mark to a weakness in some cases uh, on paper. Uh, 19, okay, uh, thank you for the question. Master Pierce, MPH, what are the top three things you want to see from our football team in the first game versus Texas State? For me, I think, one, a confident, consistent shape, and two, better playing coverage out of our DBs, and three, consistency from our wide receivers. Yeah, for me, the first one is running the football. Is this team going to be able to turn around and just run the football all over Texas State? They should be able to, but I want to see that offense line really dominate week one. I think that's important. Blake Shapin is the other one. Seeing him play well, like you said, with confidence, but also put up some numbers, like make some throws that make you go, oh, he wouldn't have made that throw last year. Like That looks more sharp. It looks more cohesive in the offense. And then the third one, you mentioned it. Uh, coverage out of the defensive backs because even in the game against Texas State last year, they allowed, I think it was Ashton Hawkins, to just destroy them. I mean, he he crushed them. And then in week two, they went to BYU and faced a very average receiver in Chase Roberts and got demolished by him as well. So it was a bad sign of things to come. So I, I don't think they want to give up that kind of performance in week one to the receivers. Yeah, I just want to, um, I mean, I think you kind of hit on some of the major points, but I want to see Blake go out there and like throw his way down the field, like, mm-hmm. and and do it like an architect, you know, do it like a, a skilled surgeon. You know, I, I don't expect him to throw lasers, but go out there and like throw the ball down the field and work your way down and punch it in. You know yeah. what I mean? Just have like that kind of confidence it always just felt like they were on their heels or they were like the dam's about to break or you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I suppose go out there and just run it down somebody's throat or, you know, throw it down somebody's throat and, you know, punch it in and uh, and have some confidence and some oomph while doing it. I don't think they had any oomph last year, really. The year before, Abram Smith would punch that in the end zone yeah. or, you know, somebody would make a play and get it in there. So just some of that that strength and confidence that they just seemed to be missing last year would be great uh, on my end. I think you, you kind of hit on some of the – the finer points, though, I mean, with the secondary, obviously I think everybody's eyes are going to be there after the way last year uh, went, and, and especially the way that it ended. I will say one thing just really quickly to mention. I think they will be pretty vanilla in the first game, though, because they oh, do play Texas Utah State. in the yeah. second game of the year. So just keep in, just monitor Still that. Still should be able to put it down the field, though. Yeah, yeah. like, yeah. I mean, they beat them, what, 45-17 last right. year? They should beat them by, like, 30. Yeah, I mean, I mean a game that doesn't go crazy beyond um, – Mid third quarter would yeah. be uh, nice as well for an opening game, but no, I, I think you know everybody's going to have eyes on Shapin. Uh, a strong physical O line would be to play into the offense and, and doing what they do, taking it down the field. But yeah, just uh, some, some, uh, I guess uh, what's the word? I can't can't quite uh, pinpoint the word here, but I want the defense to look like it all knows what it's doing together. Yeah, would be good. Uh, for the first game and not feel like there's one unit being coached one way and another unit doing another thing or just the defense not really meshing with what the offense, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that would be nice to see as well from Matthew Pallage, uh would be just a defense that seems to, to fit into everything else that's going on and fit in with its own 
own self. Uh, so thank you for the question. Uh, useless Kim degree. How much emphasis should the Tim, uh, should the team place on the UCF game? Do you think this game will set the tone for the remainder of the season, especially if Baylor starts two and two, I'm assuming it'll be a similar environment to BYU last year, but I'm confident our guys will be better prepared for such a tough road test. I mean, I, I think there's going to be emphasis placed on every game and I don't think they're going to look at the UCF game as like the game that's going to define their season and I really don't think they should because they have two games earlier on against in my opinion two better football teams than UCF um you know I I think it's going to be game at a time now if you want me to say what's the most important game on the schedule what's the game that sets Baylor up for a run you know during this season I think it's the game before I think it truly is the Texas game and, you know, you could go three and one in your first four with a loss to Texas, and it wouldn't, you know, change my opinion on the year. But if you go into that game three and oh, and then you beat Texas and you're four and oh, you've really put the nation on alert and you've put the Big 12 on alert that you're really a contender for this league and that you're a team that is going to be very scary throughout the entire season. I also think if you start 4-0 and then go into UCF, you're going to feel pretty good about who you are as a team and have a true identity. And, uh, I, I, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. I don't think there should be specific emphasis put on the UCF game at this time. Yeah, I don't think there's there's any emphasis that should be placed there. I think Utah and Texas are bigger games, and they're before that, uh, as you mentioned. So, I mean, that's where if any focus is lying, it'd be you know hopefully just all on Texas State, but then obviously Utah and Texas to come. Uh, and then I think we'll just see where they are. You know, um, it could be – it's too early to be a fork in the road for them. But, yeah, if they're like 2-2 two and two and then they got to go to the bounce house – that's obviously going to be, you know, kind of digging a hole for yourself sort of right away. But, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any, any emphasis really placed on that game. But when the time arrives, it'll be very interesting to see where they are. And, and maybe there's some extra oomph to that game as a result of where they are. If they're 4-0 and unbeaten and going on their first road trip. Or if they're 2-2 two and two and, like, trying to avoid sinking early right. on in the first handful of games. So, it's an important game. It's an interesting one, the timing of it. But, yeah, I don't think there's extra emphasis there. Uh, JHM Bandit of our recent basketball offers, which is your favorite and who – and or who do you think will end up as part of the 24 class? You know, I think they'll probably add one of the guys that they offered. I really am a fan of Asa Newell, but I also think he fits kind of what they need in this class. If you're going to go out and land Trey Johnson, you don't necessarily need VJ Edgecombe, um, even though he's a very good player as well. But I think Asa, just his length, his ability to play power forward, his ability to kind of be a versatile option uh, who could play some center in my eyes as well, especially if he grows more. I really like that offer, and I like that we kind of got to see him play for that 19 and under team and really excited sell uh, for Team USA. So I'd go with him, but both are very good. Trey Johnson's very good. If you land two out of the three of those guys, you're going to be feeling great about the recruiting class. Thank you, Bandit. Appreciate the question. Bear for cleats. Assuming Blake's healthy and doing what's needed as our quarterback, how much playing time do you think Sawyer Robertson gets this season? Do you think they will have design packages for him that will get him involved in the offense throughout the year? I, I, yeah, I don't see the design package part. I just I, that doesn't work for very many. He programs. should play week one and week three. That's for yeah. sure. And, and if he's not, then that's a problem for any number of reasons. But he should play against Texas State late, and he should play against Long Island. Start a third quarter, probably. Right. But I, I mean, I think that's pretty much all the playing time that he should get, yes. unless Blake doesn't play well or isn't healthy. So to answer the question, I just I don't think he's going to play a ton this year as long as Blake is doing what he's doing, and I really don't think that you should have design packages 
for backup quarterbacks. I just, I've never really been a huge believer in that outside of like Tim Tebow, but that's a huge outlier. Yeah. I don't really like dual quarterback systems. Um, like West Virginia with what they were trying to do, like just figuring out who the starter was, yeah. where it's like it's Garrett Green. And I know injuries played into that as well, but like it was just any, any given game was another quarterback, and then another guy would come in, and it was just it was it was just kind of messy. Baylor's had that situation when Matt Rule was here. They had a lot of that, like is it Jalen McClendon or is it Charlie Brewer or is it, you know, and you're like they're trying to use them both just to figure out who's the guy, but I think that that was the problem is they didn't really have a guy, and so they're trying to figure, like somebody please grab the reins. I don't think that's the case this year. Blake's got the reins, and Blake's going to be the guy in control of them for the most part unless games get out of control, and and I'm with you. I don't think anything Sawyer does is so unique that it's, like, additive that he needs, like, his own separate – like, he's not the design run guy, you know, like a Blake Bell or something like that, you know. Like what Tebow was. Or Tebow was ridiculous, but that's a different – that's a different type of quarterback. Right, or like Garrett Green for West Virginia where you know he's more of a running quarterback, so if they're trying to make something happen, like they you know, hope that he can kind of kickstart something yeah. for them. I don't think that's Sawyer. So I think if he's playing, it's because he's the starting quarterback uh, or Blake's not played well, and, and that's about it. But, yeah, I would hope he plays against Long Island, and I would hope he plays or uh, hope he plays at Texas State and against Long Island. But beyond that, um, you really wouldn't want to see him that much. You'd, you'd hope that Blake's the one out there because that means he's performing well as the starter. Um, but get where your head's coming from, and, and it'll be interesting to see how much we do see of Sawyer when all said and done. And uh, finally, from Travis Roeder, a staff member over at Sikkim 365, if Baylor goes 7-5 and five or worse this year, what do you think went wrong outside of catastrophic injuries? They don't get improved quarterback play, and the secondary could have used more transfer help. My my thoughts immediately went to the secondary is just a, a, a hole in the back of the defense, and it's like Air Force game, and they just mm-hmm. give up huge plays, and it's it's defeating for the offense. And yeah, that's kind of where my head originally went. I think the two have to go hand in hand, though, because I do think Baylor can make up for not having a great secondary by scoring points if Blake sure. Shapin's really good. But if if Blake and Sawyer aren't good, aren't good enough this year and then the secondary is not good, which means the defense is probably around what they were a year ago. Um, that's how you get seven and five, in my opinion, or worse. Those are the two things. I mean, you could also say, what if the transfers don't work out? That could also be an issue. Like if you get a 50% hit rate, you're going to have problems this year um, because they really need those guys to be good. So those are that's some of my thoughts. But uh, again, that would take a lot for that to happen, but it's not outside the realm of possibility. Yeah, I mean, I hate to be boring and just echo that answer, but I, I mean, I feel the same way. I mean, like I said, my head immediately went to the secondary, just not being able to, to keep up and just being kind of a, a broken dam back there. And uh, you're right that it plays into one another. You can have a bad defense or a defense with some holes, but you can still score points. Um, but that falls on Blake's shape and shoulders. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think we're on the same page. Uh, and that's a great question. I uh, thought we probably need more of a complex answer, but not really. I mean, Blake shape and do his thing and the secondary do their things. And if not, then it's going to look an awful lot like a year ago. And we know what the results were for that. So, yeah, I think we're we're on the same page as far as, as that goes. Thank you, Travis, for – the question and yeah, like if the run game's not good, well, if the pass game's still good, it's fine. If mm-hmm. this isn't good, if you know the quarterback's not feeling pressure all the time, well, the secondary's still doing their job, it's fine. But yeah, if you can't cover and and you can't score through the air, particularly, then then this team's going to be in a lot of trouble. So yep, uh, shaping in the secondary. All right, uh, that about wraps it up here. Uh, anything before we go, Grayson? 
Uh, not a lot. I mean, just be sure to check out Sikkim 365 Premium. We got fall camp starting up next week, so we'll have all kinds of news, notes, content. Um, be sure to check that out. Outside of that, just be sure to check out 365 Sports uh, Monday through Friday, 3 to 6. Yep, uh, we've got uh, more on tap later on this afternoon, as always, every weekday. 3 to 6, and uh, we'll talk to you then. But uh, I will talk to you two podcasts from now because we'll be out next week. Grayson will be handling it however you choose to handle it. And then we'll reconvene in a couple of weeks to uh, to get back on track and start to really ramp it up for the season, which is right around the corner, truly, um, truly right around the corner. So I uh, hope everybody has a great week out there. We appreciate you listening, watching, whether it's live on YouTube or after the fact. Uh, please hit subscribe and the like button or pass the word around and tell a friend about uh, the season's about to start. Hey, check out this podcast, Talking Baylor Football. We'd appreciate that. Uh, and for Garrett Ross and his daughter, Ava, thank you for being here as well. For Grayson Grunhafer, I'm Craig Smoke. This has been the Bearcast on Sikkim365.com. <laughs>